So it was six o'clock on a Friday night, and my biggest fear had just been realized. I was running late. Seriously, few things in this world make me freak out quite like being late for something. Oh, shoot. Okay. All right. I hopped off the subway in Cambridge, Massachusetts, a place where the subway is actually called the T, and I found myself in the heart of Kendall Square, which is surrounded by MIT's campus. I started doing that that half walk, half jog motion that you do when you're late that also makes you look like you have to pee really badly, but but I, I didn't care. Like I said, I hate being late. Uh, okay. And as I hurried past software engineers in cargo shorts and students in skinny jeans, I did something that I rarely do with my phone. I used it as a phone. My wife picked up, and I stammered, Hey, uh, I'm almost there. Eight years in Boston. Eight years, and I still don't know the streets by name. So I looked around, and I found a sign next to a big glass building. I'm right near a lab, uh, the Broad Institute. My wife replied, The what? The Broad Institute dead air. You mean broad? No, it's broad. Uh, no, Jay, it's really broad. I stopped walking. Suddenly, being right was far more important than being on time. I squinted at the sign. B-R-O-A-D. B-R-O-A... What the hell? Uh, babe, I'm pretty sure it's broad. Silence on the other end. So, are you coming, or... Oh, yep, sorry, babe, yep, I'm on my way. Sorry, coming, yep, be right there. My name is Jay Akunzo, and this is Unthinkable. Stories of people doing exceptional things using their intuition. In that rushed moment just before dinner when I was running late to meet my wife, my intuition failed me. Now, on this show, we've defined that word, intuition, as the ability to find your answers from within. It's the process of thinking for yourself. And that's what I tried to do, like any of us would have. I looked at the sign, and I tried to pronounce that word that I read, broad or, or broad or whatever, but I found my answer somewhere inside my own brain, and then I said the word aloud. And I was wrong. I'm sure you have mispronounced a word before, too. We do it all the time. But here's the thing. When we mess up a word, we don't suddenly stop trying to pronounce words. But that's not the case at work. So often when we try to trust our intuition and we fail, we begin to question things. Or worse, we start to look to some guru or past precedent to lead us forward. We cling to it like it has the answer instead of us. I think it's tempting and really common for the next attempt once you fail to lack that same level of self-confidence or, or self-empowerment, that trust in your own answers and your own ability to find those answers. You got burned. I get it. And so you'd rather follow the crowd or repeat the tried and true the next time. That'll help you avoid getting burned yet again. But what if we could make trusting your intuition at work as commonplace and as easy as trusting it to pronounce a word? When we get to that leap in this jungle we're hacking through together, what if it felt somewhat familiar? What if it never felt risky at all to trust your own intuition? I think that's what that phone call with my wife really showed me or, or made me realize. Not all chasms, not all leaps are the same size or distance. Sometimes something feels too big to cross and you need to go and do some research or talk to an expert. Other times it's simple, like saying a word out loud. You don't even notice that you're pulling out your answers from within. You just do it. But 
how do we make every single leap we encounter feel easy enough to cross? How do we build a bridge over not just the small chasms we encounter, but the bigger ones, the huge ones? Because if there's one thing we've learned in a year doing this show, it's that people who do what others would call unthinkable, to them, it felt smart. It felt safe. It even felt familiar. So how do we get there too? So to make sense of this, I wanted to revisit the story that we told just about a year ago about Larry Smith, an entrepreneur, a speaker, an author, and originally the founder of Smith Magazine. The reason I wanted to bring this back up today is that given these past few episodes, I think his story slots in really nicely right here. I think Larry and Smith Magazine are great examples of how to make trusting your intuition for work the same as trusting it for the simple tasks in life, like pronouncing a word. Also, we can become fluent in using our intuition. So give this story a listen, and then I'll come back at the end and we can try and recap and make sense of what we just heard together. As a quick disclaimer, this is part of a handful of episodes that really work best when you listen to them in order. So if you haven't already, go back and start with the episode called Our Journey Begins and work your way forward from there. All right, and deeper still we press into this jungle, this jungle of trying to understand what the heck intuition is and how we can use it to do better work. Larry Smith was thinking big. He wanted to create an epically successful magazine and basically become a, a media mogul. But as it so often goes as an entrepreneur, Larry sputtered out of the gate and the magazine was struggling to stay afloat. And so he concocted this giant idea to save it all. And he assigned it to two interns who would leave and go on a cross-country trip to save the business. But just three days into their trip, They'd blown through their entire budget and started to blow through any credibility that Larry had at all as the two fought each other publicly on the company blog. And it was then that Larry thought he had no chance of making it big. But then Larry got this teeny tiny little idea to launch a teeny tiny little project that turned everything around. As creators like Larry, we want to go big, whether that's success in business or just the fulfillment that we feel. What if, to get all that, you just had to do something really, really small? Well, there's so much value in starting something as small and focused because clearly you simply can't start huge. I mean, if you're CNN or Disney, you can say, okay, we're putting $3 million and 400 people into a new project. But for most of us, creative uh, folks in the entrepreneurial space or simply with our own passion projects, it, it, come down to, it comes down to that old timeless advice. How do you eat an elephant? one bite at a time. Trying to start a online magazine where the content was created by the users and it was edited and curated by a small team of professional editors. Very good idea in the early 2000s. And in fact, I started it uh, in 2006. For three years, I chased the big money because I thought you had to start big. I came from magazines where we had fancy staff retreats and took town cars home after nine o'clock back to Brooklyn, right? So I thought, you know, you had to get the big money, the fancy designers, and uh, I couldn't get it. But in January 2006, Larry still launched his magazine. And at first, 
As a magazine based on user-generated content, they asked for the big stuff from readers. Uh, I called them story projects. Did you have a life-changing moment? Put it in this section, you know, right up to 2,000 words. Did you have a funny or a weird breakup story? We have an area called My Ex, over there, up to five, 1,500 words. Did you have a brush with a celebrity? We have a section called Brushes with Fame, right up to 600 words. But Larry knew if he didn't focus, he had no chance of building something big. And then one day, his two interns, Leah and Vanessa, came to him with what they thought was a big idea. And they said, look, we want to do a road trip where we'd we want to do a road trip where we meet our online friends, uh, and uh, we're gonna we'll video blog our way around the country, and, and uh, we're gonna call it the In Real Life Project. Larry thought this feels really cool and really different, so yeah, let's totally try it. So he gave Leah and Vanessa a very small budget, and they found a videographer to go and travel with them. And this tall, handsome boy who looked like a deer in the headlights when he met these two lovable nuts. Larry called up his buddy who worked for the TV network VH1 and he was like, hey, would this work for a potential show? And after the guy reviewed the idea, he was like, wow, this could be huge. Let us know how it goes and maybe next year we can work on a reality show together. So I'm like, this is it. This is going to put Smith Mag really on the map. But then that fateful day came. Oh, yes, it did. On day three of their trip, Leah and Vanessa's car broke down. And to make matters worse, they were sick of each other already and using the company website to publicly fight each other. One wrote something on the blog about the other's poor attitude. And I believe something was blogged about the other one's mother. Needless to say, that project died pretty quickly. They'd taken this big swing and it blew up in their face. And the In Real Life project was going to be the main story for the next few weeks. So now we had a big old honking hole. And... That really led me to accidentally uh, discover the Six Word Memoir Project. Legend holds that Ernest Hemingway once bet a table full of writers that he could write a story in just six words. So they all put up 10 bucks each to see what he could do. And on the back of a napkin, Hemingway wrote these words. For sale. Baby shoes. Never worn. Damn, right? So much meaning there. Jeez. Larry thought, well, what if we tried something similar with our, with our readers? They could upload their own short stories. And he posted what he called the six-word memoir challenge to the website. And shortly after, he went home for Thanksgiving. And it was there that he told his family about this idea. And immediately, without you know, any introduction or explanation, my nephew, who was 10, wrote, oh, I have one for Grandpa. Memory loss. What was I thinking? And his Little brother uh, said, oh, my six-word memoir, Uncle Larry, is can't wear tie-dye every day, want to. And my niece, who was six, started doing a six-word review of the turkey. And I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. The next day, I went to my email, because back then for the six-word memoir challenge, uh, it just came to my inbox. Like, we just didn't know it was going to be a big deal. And I had 7,000 six-word memoirs in my inbox. And the project just snowballed. Thousands of people contributed. Millions were reading these little memoirs. Even a young pair of tech entrepreneurs who were up and coming reached out to Larry about brokering some kind of distribution partnership. The two entrepreneurs were named Biz Stone and Jack Dorsey. And their project was a little company by the name of Twitter. And so we were off to the races. So obviously we didn't end it at one month. We kept it going. And then that just led to everything with six word memoirs. And it absolutely changed my life.
everyone has a story about their life. We know that. At least one good story, probably more. You know, you have to remember to ask that story. So first of all, most people have never really been asked, tell your story. I want to hear it. I care. I might publish it in a book. I might put, feature it on a blog or, or uh, make it the tweet of the day. And that's a good question. But now that's still hard. Now if you give them a constraint, a creative constraint, like six words, now it... It, it mostly gets easier. It gets a little harder because, you know, you're in a six-word box, but people love a parameter. The constraint fuels creativity. Larry's dad used to tell him, pick one thing and go deep with it. I love that. My dad, my grandfather, they always say, if you're going to do something, do it right. So whether or not Larry intentionally took that kind of advice to heart or subconsciously it just kind of came out, I think that really jumps out about his project, Right. He didn't try to move from six words to seven. He didn't try to have everybody upload all kinds of new user-generated content once that six-word memoir project took off. No, he constantly refined how to make that little project better and better. In other words, he gave himself severe constraints, he focused, and he started small. And simply because he was willing to start with that approach, Larry did something that we all want so badly to build something big. Okay, so Modern Day Jay is back here, and uh, let's recap how far we've come, not only in this episode, but over the last few episodes, culminating in what we can learn from Larry Smith. So first, in that episode titled Our Journey Begins, we encountered a big, big problem that's relatively universal at work. It has never been easier to be average. There's just so much expertise and advice and documented knowledge, which we can access instantly thanks to the internet and all sorts of technology. And so we can lean on someone else's ideas and answers like a crutch. But when you aspire to do something more than average, when you aspire to be exceptional, how do you go about that? Second, we proposed a solution. Trust your intuition. To do anything exceptional, you become an exception from all that average noise. And every person is an exception thanks to that intuition. But we don't often use that, and worse, we don't know how to use that in so many cases. So third, another question. If we're saying intuition is the solution, what the heck is intuition? To try and figure that out, we looked at a bunch of expert definitions and research and then kind of reverted to the Latin root for the word, intuir, which means knowledge from within. And so we concluded that episode by defining intuition as the ability to find knowledge from within. In a world full of expert advice and gurus and best practices, it's the process of thinking for yourself. Fourth, another problem that that brings up. Sure, intuition is powerful, it's a differentiator, and yeah, we can understand it better with that simple definition, but trusting it, actually acting on it, can feel like a leap. So how do you cross that leap once you encounter it? You build a bridge. You don't look for one simple motion or secret or hack or tool. It's a process. Fifth, that's today's episode. How do you begin that process? How does one start building a bridge across some kind of chasm, some kind of problem that they've encountered using that intuition as the tool? Well, for Larry, he wanted desperately to spark a movement to get user-generated content and stories so profound and so important to the contributor of those stories that the company would take off. 
And he succeeded. I mean, eventually, his organization did blow up. And none of that would have happened if Larry had first tried to build some kind of bridge from no magazine to that massive success. Yeah, that's his aspiration, but you can't start there. Instead, I think his story teaches us something pretty powerful. Start by applying your intuition to smaller leaps. Larry did so with the creation of the Six Word Memoir Project, and that was a much smaller, much easier bridge to build across from no magazine to a magazine sharing six-word user-generated stories. Once he figured out how to do that, he figured out how to get more people to do that. Once he figured out how to get more people to do that, he got celebrities to do it. Then he wrote the book. Then he got the sponsors, a TED Talk, some products, a speaking tour. Bigger and bigger, faster and faster, trusting his intuition with more and more confidence because it had become like speaking a word. It had become familiar and easy. It had become the way he operates. But it all began by using his intuition to build a small bridge. You know what this is like? It's like in the startup world where everybody talks about product market fit. This concept of finding the right product to match what the consumer, what the market actually wants or needs in this moment in time. No product market fit, no business. In the same way, I think there's something called intuition aspiration fit. In other words, is your intuition, your ability to think for yourself, your ability to find your own answers, is your intuition capable and ready to attack that grand aspiration, whatever it is. So how do you get to product market fit? You start small. You build what's known as a minimal viable product. The goal is to launch quickly against a small subset of customers or with a small product that solves a problem in a small way. Are you seeing a pattern? And the goal isn't final success. It's not the grand aspiration of a billion dollar business yet. The goal of product market fit is to first launch experiments and learn quickly to iterate. Launch, learn, and iterate over and over and over. So yeah, if your market is a group of commuters, building a car seems really unthinkable. But what if you took a small subset of those people and built a scooter? And you'd learn and see if it was sufficient and see how to build something that moves And then you could build a motorcycle. And then you could build the car. You're taking these leaps, but in progressive increments. Launch, learn, and iterate. So, if your aspiration is to curate the most powerful user-generated stories, then launching a media empire right away seems unthinkable. That's the car. So, start with a six-word memoir project and a small circle of friends. Then go outside the circle. Then get the big names. Then that first advertiser. Are you getting the picture here? Intuition, aspiration, fit. Deploy that tool that is your intuition against a smaller problem. And then it'll get easier to attack the next one, and the next one, and the next one. Because here's the deal. Our industry is full of average stuff. Commodity stuff. Stuff that we've been doing for years without asking why. Stuff that others can and do copy without much thought or energy. The biggest opportunity facing our careers, our companies, everything, is to spend more time trying to build your bridge across. If we really don't aspire to be average, we have got to stop doing average work. We have got to stop obsessing over everybody else's answers for things and instead ask ourselves the right questions. So, what are those questions? 
They're the six pieces of that bridge, the six fundamental questions that we have uncovered by studying this stuff and telling these stories over a year and a half of making this show. The six questions that you can ask yourself to trust your intuition, pull out those answers from within, and be exceptional. And those questions are the next six episodes of the show. I'm very sneaky sneaky, no? <laughs> Sorry about that. This episode of Unthinkable was written and hosted by me, Jay Akunzo, here in Boston, and I'm about to move to New York. I don't know when this episode goes live. I'm probably already in New York, but I'm pumped. If you're in New York, let's meet up. I got editing help this week from the great Josh Cole. Thank you, Josh. And for you, be sure to get on the weekly newsletter of Unthinkable at unthinkable.fm. I share new episodes every Monday morning, plus my video preview, and I also call out something sneaky, again, I'm, I'm very sneaky sneaky, or maybe something experimental that I tried in the production of the show, and that's the benefit of making stuff for other makers. I can share what I made, and also how I made it. So if you're interested in any of that stuff, it only goes to the weekly newsletter, subscribe at unthinkable.fm. That's the show this week, but don't just listen to me on, on any of this stuff. Trust your intuition. Build that bridge from average to exceptional by thinking for yourself. But more on that next week. For now, here's some space to feel stuff. <laughs>